This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, I'm Lahari Neil Peretti, founder of LN Accounting Advisor, and this is Then What? With another story of a big then what business moment which transformed into real success made possible by real leadership. It's been said that we spend 95% of our lives inside. And with a global pandemic, well, that's more true than ever. Why not make the very best of it? Matt Franken, founder of Aunt Fanny's, which offers plant-based ingredients, probiotics, and essential oils for healthier housekeeping, has a mission to bring wellness to our homes. Now, when you think of health and wellness, you may not think of cleaning products, but Matt and his team have succeeded in changing that perception by helping consumers surround themselves with what's best for them and doing so with a give first mentality. Coming up, how education has played an important part in the journey of Aunt Fanny's and how the company was born out of personal adversity in Matt's own family and the lack of information to solve it. Facing the choice to compromise on values for profit by being shameless has helped with fundraising. How helping people instead of taking advantage of every opportunity has paid off. The importance of a community of first-time entrepreneurs and the inspiring story of how the company got its name. Thank you, Matt, for being on the show, and I appreciate you for being on Yeah, here. no, I appreciate uh, being on and the opportunity to chat. Of course. So when I typically think about a product in the health and wellness industry, I think of food and beverage or a fitness or beauty product, usually. How have you managed to position Aunt Fanny's, a company offering housekeeping products into the health and wellness space? Well, I think that's actually one of the most interesting things for us in that we do have health and wellness opportunities in the products that we buy uh, in so many categories that aren't housekeeping. And the reality is outside of what we ingest, um, what we put on, in, and around us, particularly in enclosed spaces, um, actually can have a really significant impact on our health and wellness. So we really do see ourselves as a health and wellness company that makes home care products. Um, and we think it's really changing the conversation in the category in a meaningful way, mainly because eco-friendly doesn't necessarily mean people-friendly. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions out there. For sure. And I would say that, you know, when people think a lot about what they're ingesting inside, like their body, right? They think a lot about, okay, we want to eat healthy. We want to make sure we're drinking healthy and all that stuff. And so it's a hard shift in the mindset for people or consumers in general to think about, okay, not it's not just about what you're ingesting, but also what is around you, because that still is something you're kind of ingesting. It's just not it's just not taken through the mouth or whatever. So how have you been able or how has your company been able to educate others to make that shift in the mindset? And how has that journey been? Well, I think it's a great question because most of our 
job really is around education. Um, when I started the company, it was born out of personal adversity in my own family. Um, and I, I recognized that how I felt at that time was really intimidated. I had a lack of information, a lack of resources. And so once I was able to get over that hurdle and recognize, hey, this is doable. If I could shorten the learning curve for other people or other families just like mine, I wanted to be able to do that. And I think your your linking food and Bev and recognizing that we want to be healthier is really the quickest and shortest distance that a consumer can go when when taking this path. And what I mean by that is if you think about the the organic products that you buy, you're really looking to get the chemicals out of your food, right? Or drinks or whatever it might be. So to get similar chemicals, um, harsh ingredients out of the products that we use every day in our home isn't a super huge leap. Um, and so what we've done as part of that education is not only do we, we bring to light just that little snippet of information for people to be like, oh, well, that makes sense. If I'm trying to get away from chemicals in food, why wouldn't I try to get away from nasty chemicals in my home? Um, but I think beyond that, we also don't expect people to take our word for it. So we utilize third-party testing pretty heavily. So our, our entire cleaning line is dermatologists tested um, and hypoallergenic. Uh, our hand soaps are actually pH balanced in order to align with skin. Um, and when we think about our ingredient formulas, when we look at our entire um, spray line um, or liquid cleaning line, uh, we actually use verifiably FDA gross certified ingredients, which means they're generally recognized as safe to either be food a food additive or safe near food. So we're, we're taking all of this information and kind of bottling it up into a brand um, that gives us the ability to say, well, why haven't companies thought about these products like this before? And then you have third-party um, nonprofits like Environmental Working Group that actually create grades for products like ours around health, wellness, and safety. And um, they they bring in bring in another level of credibility. So we go we go to pretty great lengths to educate the consumer. So how did this product come about? How did this idea form for you? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so like I mentioned, it really was derived from personal adversity. And I've got two kids, um, both now teenagers, uh, seventeen and fifteen. And my my daughter was super easy, firstborn, um, slept a ton, uh, just a, about as easy as a as a little kid as you could get. And then um, my second came along, my son, and it was like night and day. He he was just he was a malcontent, um, could not be soothed as as a baby. And we came to realize that he had really severe reflux as an infant. Then developed really severe eczema to the point where he was he was bleeding in the crooks of his elbows, on his face, behind his knees. And I mean, he's a little kid. I mean, like tiny, and he's still having these issues. Then developed asthma, and then the host of these other autoimmune issues. Uh, and we started with food. That's the path we went down to say, okay, we're only going to do unprocessed things. So there was a lot of home cooking, um, completely overhauled his his home menu. Um, and it was about that time. And he, he had some improvement with that change. 
but it was about the time that he was seven um, that he ended up uh, getting vitiligo, which is also an autoimmune disease, but it's where your immune system attacks the pigment of your skin. And so he was starting to get these white patches around his neck. And typically, once vitiligo reaches your face, it goes to your eyes and your mouth. And so while, while mom and I were okay with him being the kid at the lunch table eating carrots, we weren't okay with the rest of his life um, being, you know, the person that walks into a room and is immediately noticed because of, you know, how different he is. Um, and I think it was at that point where we doubled down, his physician set came to us and said, listen, you need to think about the products that you're using in your home. And I'm like, well, we're already natural buyers. So why is that? Uh, and they're like, well, here's the thing is that eco-friendly means that they've taken a sustainable ingredient. They've taken a plant molecule, uh, but they've broken it and they've added what they wanted and subtracted what they wanted to make something evolutionarily completely unknown to the human body. So it's still synthetic. It's not a natural ingredient. It's naturally derived um, and it's sustainable. So it's eco-friendly but it doesn't make it people friendly. And that it almost felt like a punch in the gut. So of course, you know, I, I ran home, um, hit my, hit up my Google machine, you know, like any dad would. Uh, and that's when I found a, a couple of alarming facts. And the first was that the air in your home can be up to 500% more polluted than the air outdoors, just as a result of the products you're using in your home. And more than half of all kids these days have some form of chronic illness most of it is autoimmune derived. So even if you look at ADHD or Tourette's or some of the conditions my son had, or even, even severe allergies, a lot of those are autoimmune driven. Um, and so I was like, we're not alone by any stretch, but we feel alone. I know he feels alone, um, you know, going to school and just again, eating and everything else. And so it's just like, I, I've got to do something about this more dad protectiveness, right? Kind of just Papa bear comes out. Um, but I also knew that if, like I mentioned earlier, if I could help other people the same way we needed help, but didn't have the resources for, um, I wanted to be able to do that. That's amazing. So then what happened after you realized, okay, there are all, obviously all this toxic things in within our house. Then what happened to formulate your first product and how did that come about? The beauty in not having CPG experience is that you get to start from scratch and you get to come in with a level of imagination and creativity and ignorance. <laughs> that, um, you're, you're able to paint up with a palette that just is, is limitless. And so based on that initial conversation um, with his physician set, I was like, okay, well, why don't we think about food as an ingredient? Uh, why don't we think of what ingredients we can use that are evolutionarily adapted to us? And that was really where we started. And that was kind of the gr first grain of an idea um, that I had as far as formulation. But I also knew that there was a lot that I didn't know. And my job in order to make the company successful was really to go out and find people that did know a lot more than I did. Um, and what was nice is because of my ignorance, um, but also because I felt like we needed to push the boundaries of what was currently existing in the marketplace, we brought in some very unconventional um, 
researchers and formulators in order to help us build kind of what I would consider the top of the funnel for R&D. And so we have actually used, um, you know, we've got access to one of the world's uh, foremost ethnobotanists who study cultures and ingredients and traditions and how they've used um, things in their um, local geography, topography uh, to, to heal and aid um, for our first a uh, cleaning product, we actually brought in a food formulator, not a cleaning formulator, but a food formulator and said, we want you to make something that cleans. For our pest products, we have actually brought in um, beauty formulators because we want their, with our mosquito repellent as an example, we wanted our mosquito repellent to have not only accretive properties, so we have vitamin E in our um, mosquito repellent to help soften skin, but we also uh, use a, an ingredient um, that is beauty grade that helps lift the oils. In beauty, it's called dry down for perfume. So it's one of those aspects. We just wanted to bring really unique um, characteristics to our products. And we've used those researchers and different types of formulators at the top of the funnel. And then as we've gotten down the research process, we we utilize more formal cleaning pest um, beauty formulators um, on on the individual formulas, but it always starts at this kind of very openly creative aspect to try to find the best information out there. How did you guys start selling this product? How did you go to market with this? Like probably like a lot of entrepreneurs, it was uh, the Matt Franken Roadshow. I mean, that's really what it came down to. Um, no word of exaggeration. I still have pictures of not only was I making product when we very first started in my garage. So it's that, you know, prototypical cliched, like entrepreneur starting in his garage. I, I mean, I quite literally loaded up my trunk and went from store to store to store. I had the first person on concept alone. Um, and I will always give him credit. His name is Jesse Rome in Whole Foods, Greenville, South Carolina. I get goosebumps talking about it now still. Um, and I said, listen, I've got an idea for this product. And um, I know you guys do local products, but I I'm just starting out. We're pre-product, pre-revenue. What do you think? He's like, listen, I think it's a great idea. I think you should do it as soon as you've got it in hand. Come to me. I will totally buy some. We'll put it on our shelf. And at that time, once you got into one Whole Foods, you can then sell into the region. So I had access to another 16, 17 Whole Foods. So once I got onto that Whole Foods, I quite literally pinballed around all of the remaining Whole Foods in the region and sold to each and every one of their managers. So walked in and said, and you would have to be there early because the managers are like there at like five to two. Um, so you'd have to catch them like when no one's in the store. But that's how we started. I mean, it was just, it was slinging product out <laughs> out of my trunk into Whole Foods um, with people who didn't know me from anyone else. And and that's that's how, you know, I think we, we started to get our, our toehold um, into uh, at least brick and mortar. Yeah. And that was just with one product at that time, right? That's right. And how, you know, once you got into Whole Foods and where you saw, obviously, that you were able to sell this one product... What caused you to diversify and, you know, add on more more products and SKUs? Well, there were a couple of things. I mean, there's the reality that it's it's very tough to sell into a, a retailer with one SKU, um, particularly as a new company. And they're like, oh, boy, is this company <laughs> fly by night? Are they going to be around in a year? You know, I'm going to put them on my shelf and it, I'm going to be kicking someone else off. And there are those considerations. But I think from day one, I knew that there are 
so many chemicals that we use in our home. And I wanted to build a brand um, that had an extendable platform where, where we were able to focus on health and wellness and we were able to traverse multiple categories because as you know, pest products aren't on the cleaning shelf. They're in, they're in that zombie aisle with like light bulbs and batteries. You know what I mean? Um, (laughs) and, and cleaning is a little bit, uh, sexier of the two categories. But, um, what I learned early on is that our, our fruit fly product, as an example, we merchandised it in produce, we merchandised it in pest, uh, and we merchandised it in cleaning. And believe it or not, the fastest place it moved was in cleaning because most people see fruit flies as a reflection of the cleanliness of their kitchen and home. Um, and so it was more of a light bulb moment where you may not travel down the, the light bulb and battery aisle to go find a fruit fly product if you have fruit flies. Um, and when you're shopping for produce, you don't necessarily want to think, think about of- fruit flies. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, I think um, it was very quick. We knew we wanted to have depth and breadth, but we wanted to focus on the internal ecosystem of the home and have that be our, pri- our priority. Again, one other piece of information that I learned is that we spend 95 plus percent of our time indoors. So when you think about that, you know, air pollution indoors statistic that I gave you earlier, you're like, oh, well, holy moly. We can really cover a lot of ground just inside the home with everyday stuff that people use all the time. Did you ever feel like you had to compromise on your mission or your values or were you ever asked to compromise on your mission and values for the profit of the business? Oh, I think that's that's an everyday challenge. Um, I think when you look at um, retailers and their margin requirements and they have all sorts of other things like slotting and promotions and it can whittle away at the company's ability to really stay afloat or even be profitable at all. You know, we were very fortunate to to bring on some really extraordinary investors that believed in the mission, believed in where we were, where we were going. Um, and we're willing to back us in those days in order to get us to where we are today. Um, and so that allowed me to really have some pretty strict standards as, as it related to our formulation and our mission. Um, and so I was able to tell some retailers, well, no, it just sounds like you're not ready for us yet. Um, we think you will be. And we know that there are customers out there that believe and need the products that uh, we're producing. And at a certain point, we feel like you'll recognize that as well. Um, and we'll be here when you're ready. Um, this isn't, you know, weird, you know, power move. This is just a, we've got to kind of stick to what we know is working and stick to what we know is going to create vitality and viability for the company. Yeah. And speaking of funding and investors, you hit $10.5 million in funding in 2019. Can you take us through that journey of getting funding? How did you find investors, things of that sort? Sure. I, I will tell you that um, I'm shameless. I think that's probably the easiest way to say it. So my, my background is actually private finance. Um, it, it, it is now my prior life. Uh, and in doing that, I um, recognized that very wealthy folks uh, put on their pants just like we all do, one leg at a time. And they are no different than um, you or I. Uh, and I think that that lends a lot of uh, 
credibility and confidence, whether it was warranted or not, when when I'm pitching what I'm doing. Um, and so I, I think I'll give you a per- perfect example. Uh, so Monica Nassif, the, the founder of Mrs. Myers, um, has not only been a longtime backer of ours, but uh, ha- had been on our board for nearly six years. Um, she just rolled off. But uh, I got her on a cold. It was a cold email. Um, and I was just saying, listen, I believe you have done what I intend to do, uh, with a different type of company, but in a similar category, uh, and here's what we're proposing. And so Monica and I, I'll call it professionally dated. We, we talked to each other for probably nine months. Um, and I, I let her know, I said, you know, I'm looking to have people that, uh, are really supportive of the business that are not just check writers, that we want people that are going to be hands-on and that are good people believe in what we're doing. And so as we both got to know each other, I finally made the invitation to her if she'd be willing to be a board member and a backer, et cetera. And at that point, she finally agreed. Um, and so I think, you know, it's a process, uh, but I think a lot of it comes down to passion and um, an idea that you really believe in. And I think people people like to believe in A, an underdog, and B, a, a, a compelling story and reason behind what they're putting money into. And so, you know, with, with each progressive round, um, our investor base actually became more and more engaged. And we were able to open and close rounds literally within you know, 30 or 45 days because our investor base was so ecstatic about what we were doing, the growth they were seeing and a mission that we knew from day one, they all believed in because it was categorically something that I needed them to have before I was willing to take a check. How has that funding and that experience changed the business? I mean, it's accelerated our growth for sure. I think, you know, we could have stayed very small um, and we could have grown quite a bit more slowly, um, but probably been a lot more profitable early on. Um, But the reality is, is that for me, I knew how many families, I couldn't unsee that number, you know, that 50, more than 50% of all kids have some form of chronic illness. I couldn't unsee it. And And I'm like, you know what, if we can do this in a manner that it provides more of these quality type of products to more people Then I wanted to be able to do that. And, and I think that's where our funding came in. Um, so without a doubt, accelerated our, our growth. And I can honestly say that the, the backers that we have, the overwhelming majority of them have CPG experience. And so we've been able to access them at, really any point in time. I mean, it's almost like having advisors on your Rolodex that you know are already supportive of your business. You say, hey, we're having this problem. I know this was your specialty. Um, what should we be doing here? And so um, I, I think it's it's been a huge resource, not just financial um, by any stretch. I mean, it's definitely been um, an, an experience resource, a resource of intelligence, um, and one that has really allowed us to catapult the brand forward in a meaningful way. Yeah. That number you said is like really alarming. 50% of kids. And it's, it's something that I, I genuinely believe in and passionate about that. 
I a lot of people don't know about this. That's that's the shocking part. I still think consumers are still learning that this is the truth and that these products are, you know, just having clean products is very, very important. So I, I know you had mentioned how how it's a big part of what you guys are doing is also educating consumers, right? What avenues have you have you done besides just kind of, you know, putting the product on your website and things to educate consumers? Well, I think it, it takes a few different aspects. You know, some of it is actually just baked into your brand marketing. So I think we have also been very fortunate to, um, to earn quite a bit of PR in, in the lifetime of the brand. So we, we've been in good housekeeping and O and Cosmopolitan, uh, Cooking Light and Women's Day. I mean, you just kind of, you name it and we've, we've been in it. Um, and I think that getting into those mainstream publications where we're able to tell the story, it helps put the, the light bulb on um, for a lot of consumers. Um, so when a real simple um, reader is, you know, thumbing through the magazine, they're, they're able to see us and go, huh. I, I didn't even know that that was an option for me. And it could be that only one product was profiled, but our customers generally start with a, a single product and then they move across the entire scope of the brand. I think beyond earned PR though, I've really taken upon myself to, to be a thought leader in this space. I do a lot of public speaking. Um, and, and so my job, I feel, is to be a proselytizer for where I think we should be in the category. And that's when I'm at a, a conference with peers. Um, so it could be big brands, small brands, but they're cleaning product or pest product. And it could be at, um, you know, a, a green conference. It could be at uh, an e-com conference. I've actually talked to, you know, so it, there's a long list of people you can speak to, um, or even opportunities like this, where you've been gracious enough to give me a platform to talk about these things. Um, and it's, it's just, you end up creating this kind of virtual cycle of if you go out and speak your truth and speak the, the, the mission of the brand, it inevitably gets picked up naturally through certain PR channels and it could be product driven, but you're able to tell your story through a product that's getting profiled. And then when that gets profiled, either the brand or the product, it drives product being bought off shelf. So your retailers get happy because they're seeing velocity off the shelf. They're seeing your product getting bought. And then the more product that gets bought, the more opportunities you have to go and speak. And then it just becomes this kind of, uh, flywheel, if you will, of perpetual motion. Um, and so we, we really believe in try, working to explore the highest uh, levels of safety and wellness in the category. And, and so it gives us a megaphone that is saying something really quite different than any of our competitors, um, period. There's just really no one in our categories that, that, that's saying anything remotely close to what we're saying. Yeah. And one interesting thing that I saw, especially during COVID, right, these times was that a lot of companies spiked up or a lot of new companies kind of butted. I would say the cleaning and soaps and sanitizer, like all that, you know, products and industry. And everyone kind of ranked up their price, right? It was a little bit more expensive than what it used, used to cost. But your company, 
actually had a discount during that time. Right. Yeah, I, I thought it was... It's fairly shameful to see that, um, just even in our culture. And I know it happens everywhere um, in times of, of pain and, and need um, that people take advantage of the situation. And I think for us, it will always be it will always be about getting great products to great people. And I'm 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 an optimist. I I really think that given the opportunity to give and to do something that might be contraventional is, is what's in the best interest of the human race. It's what's in the best interest of our own culture. Um, and so you're right. Um, as COVID hit there, there was a lot of price gouging and we actually decided to discount our products um, 40% off. Uh, and we wanted to be able to get our products into the hands of people that were in need and people that rightfully had quite a bit of fear around what was happening. We would much rather be a, a salve for a wound than a, a um, you know, an increase in complexity or fear uh, for, uh, you know, a, a really a global community going through something so, so tragic. Yeah, it's sad to see. And it's amazing what you and your the company have done because it is sad to see how others have taken advantage of the situation to monetize on it. Um, but you're, this is a way of kind of saying that your brand and your mission, making it accessible to everyone. I think for me, especially when I saw that, you know, back, to, I have been using these products. And um, when I saw that, it was amazing. It's something that called out to me to say that, okay, this is a brand that everyone should truly support because they speak what they are saying. They actually do what they're saying, you know? So that's right. amazing. Yeah. I, I think we have a give first mentality. I, I have one personally, but professionally, I think it's, if you give first, you, you really don't have anything to lose. Um, and it, it, it puts you in a position that you can feel good about the interaction that you've had with whoever you encounter. Um, and it doesn't need to be reciprocated. And I think if we did that a whole lot more, <laughs> across um, our humanity and culture, I think we'd probably be a bit better off. We'd love to hear from you. Follow us on social media at Ellen Accounting and visit us or contact me directly at ellenaccountingcpa.com and subscribe to Then What Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find the best podcasts. Are you looking for financial advice or an outsourced CFO, or maybe just help with your books or financials? Well, let's talk. As a listener of the podcast, I want to offer you a free consultation call with me. Go on our website at lnaccountingcpa.com and book a call with me today. Again, that's lnaccountingcpa.com. When you reach out, please make sure to mention this podcast. I look forward to hearing from you. How did this name come up, Aunt Fanny's? Yeah, so great question. And it's one that, believe it or not, not a lot of people ask. It's a nod to my grandmother. She just turned 90. Uh, and my, I mean, this woman is full of, I'll say vim and vinegar. Um, and, and, and what I, she's, she's extraordinarily positive, but she's one of these, she's a truth teller. And 
I'll give you an example. You, we would walk into her home and she's going to grab you by your cheeks and kind of give you a good look. And then she's going to give you a kiss on the cheek. And as she's letting you go, she's going to say, it's so good to see you. Boy, you really are like heavy on the makeup today. Or <laughs> it looks like you gained a few pounds. Or so in this extraordinarily loving, like you still felt loved and seen she also would talk to you about the things that maybe others wouldn't have the bravery to talk to you about coming from a place of love. And so I really wanted to channel that in our brand because it's so important. We don't, we don't want to incite fear. We don't want to shame people. This is a journey we all go on. And I wanted to tell our story from a place of love and from a place of caring. And so Aunt Fanny's is an homage to her and her mentality in being that uh, tough but loving truth teller. That's amazing. I love that. Part of being an entrepreneur, and I'm pretty sure everyone has faced this, and including myself, is you'll have, when you have an idea or when you have a product or a vision and you share it with others, you always have some people saying, ah, that's not going to work, or I don't think you're going to be successful, um, and things like that. How has that been part of your journey, and how have you moved past that? Yeah, it's a great question, because I was uh, stood up on that very early on um, by, by my own mom. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was one of these situations where, you know, I'm kind of going out and sharing with my inner circle after you know, you, you sit on an idea, you sit on um, kind of this vision and mission and you ruminate and you, you start to get excited. In, you know, you're laying in bed at night and you're like, oh my gosh, okay, and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this and this is how it's going to go. And so that, that first round of people that you're brave enough to tell you're going to take this leap, you, you always hope are going to be really supportive. But the reality is, is like, that's, almost never the case. I have never heard an entrepreneur's story where that has been the case. And so um, in my circumstance, my mother was like, no, this is the worst idea ever. Like, I do not think you should do this. Like you have a great career. You have a, you know, you have a growing family. Like I, I just, this is, I don't think that this is what's best for you. Um, and candidly, that was just the beginning. Um, it, it wasn't just her, uh, and it remains even today. Um, you know, we're, we're in a position where we're in an eight figure business and I still have people telling me why it's not going to work or, um, how, you know, I should be doing something, um, differently or so there's, there's always dissenters. There's always naysayers. Um, and, Particularly as as a sole founder, I do think it's it's extra challenging because you don't have a co-founder to bounce those ideas off of um, that safe place to kind of seed those thoughts to take these half baked ideas, let them bounce off each other to become fully formed ideas. Uh, and so, you're right. I, I think it it is a challenge. You have to steal your disposition in a, in a very significant way. Uh, and over time, it becomes easier. Uh, in the beginning, it's very tough. But over time, you start to realize, oh, no, you know what? I, I was right. And I think the other part of this, too, is that I, I am not a death grip founder. Um, I, in my personal life, uh, as well as my uh, professional life, I want to be a lifelong learner. I want to be a perpetual learner. And so I solicit 
a lot of input. I solicit a lot of advice. Doesn't mean I take all of it. Um, but I know that I'm, I'm never going to be the smartest person in the room. And if I am, I'm in the wrong room. And so I think that um, remaining open and asking inquisitively uh, to folks that have more experience or that have unique perspectives um, really becomes additive. And it allows you to feel confident that the decisions you're making are with the best information available. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to take that advice, but you can take pieces of it um, and move forward and know that you have, have done your job and due diligence on, on your thought process moving forward. So you said something about not having a soundboard, right? And I, on, as entrepreneurs, you, and you sometimes second guess yourself. I'm like, eh, is this the right next step? Is this not? What has helped you overcome maybe second guessing yourself or has there been anyone that you've utilized as your soundboard that has helped you make decisions and validated some of the things you have made? Yeah, that's a great question. And I can tell you, I, I got very lucky very early on um, in that I became a part of a community of um, first time entrepreneurs uh, when I first started the company. Um, and, and these folks will know who they are if they're, if they're listening. Um, but we informally called it porch therapy. So, uh, it was once every, maybe couple of weeks, uh, we would, uh, everyone would have a turn and you would talk about something personal. You would talk about something professional and you would talk about, um, family and because something personal may not be family oriented. And because you do as an, entrepreneur, you deal with dynamics with either your, your, it could be your parents or siblings, or it could be your significant other, or it could be, uh, kids. And, you know, your, your time is being, in any event, um, it was a group of, of probably six or seven entrepreneurs and we would get together and it would be in the evening after, I mean, uh, a third of us had kids after our kids were in bed. Um, and you know, there, there might be some imbibing involved as well around a campfire or whatnot. And, um, but we would go around and be able to talk about those things and you, I'd get feedback on, well, here's what I'm thinking, or have you thought about it this way? Or sometimes you just wanted to have a proverbial shoulder to cry on and just to be seen and heard. Um, and so, I started to exercise that muscle very early on um, and have since then done my best to surround myself with people that are either peers that are, that are currently in my shoes or have very recently been in shoes like mine. Um, and it's allowed me to stay in touch and maybe even a little bit ahead of some of the emotions um, and intellectual challenges that arise from being um, you know, in the seat that we are. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I learned very early on that having an outlet and sounding board for, for me, not only was great for me, but it was ultimately great for the company. Yeah. I mean, what, what's next for Aunt Fanny's? Well, I think we've, we've got quite a ways to go. I mean, so like you said earlier, there's, there's still a lot of people out there that really don't know much about, you know, the, the chemicals and products that they're using in their homes. And so our, our mission remains very strong and very true. And I think 
We continue to expand our portfolio um, in ways that that's meaningful to um, our customer base. So a, a good example is that uh, here very shortly, we're going to be launching a, a houseplant and garden insect remedy. Um, as you, I'm a big houseplant fan, yeah. uh, that's actually how it started is <laughs> I got bugs in my own houseplants and I'm like, oh my gosh, how do I get rid of these? Um, and so anyways, um, you know, I think we're, we're thinking about, again, not necessarily those first very obvious ideas of products that, you know, the ones that sit under your kitchen sink or the ones that are in your bathroom, but we're trying to think of other products that would be meaningful to our customer base. Um, and so I think we, we continue to look at everything with creativity. We continue to bring in our unconventional researchers and formulators. And I think that we are moving in a direction that is really going to make a substantial difference in the lives of a whole lot of people. That's amazing. How can we connect with you and your brand? Yeah, so you can find us at antfannies.com, um, A-U-N-T-F-A-N-N-I-E-S.com. Uh, um, you can also find us on Amazon or on e-tailers like Grove or Thrive. Um, you can find us in brick and mortar retailers like Target uh, or your your good friends in Texas, H-E-B. Um, so, you know, there's lots of opportunities to, to find Aunt Fanny's and connect with the brand. And, um, we're, we're very lucky to have the partnerships that we do, um, because they're big supporters as well. Amazing. Thanks. Tell me about how community has played a role into your progression of your company or yourself. Can you take us to that? Community has, has played a really significant role in not only my, my personal life, but also with Aunt Fanny's. And so, as you can imagine, with my, my son, when he was struggling with a lot of these health issues, you start to look for other families that are, are seeing some of the same challenges. And for us, I mean, there's now this very large community. I mean, they, they call themselves allergy moms. You know, I like it didn't it didn't exist when my kids. I mean, again, I'm, I'm dating myself. My kids are 15 and 17. So when you start to think about that, when my 15 year old was four, you know, Facebook was just starting to get up and running like it wasn't this expansive place where you could go and find all these affinity groups. Um, and so personally, you, you seek out people like that. Um, and because of how our brand originated, um, the, the allergy, uh, asthma, and autoimmune community has been a, a really big part of our, our brand's growth um, because they're, they're looking for the types of ingredients that I was looking for um, when, when I first or before I first started the company. Um, I think uh, we also have folks that aren't necessarily um, specifically in those categories, but are tangentially in those categories. So we actually have a really um, large Lyme disease community um, that are customers of ours. Uh, so a lot of them, I guess, if I w wanted to kind of lump them into a larger category altogether, we have a lot of folks who have gone on their own health journey. And that's actually uh, inclusive of even our, our entire team. Um, most of the team has gone on their own health journey and reached out to us to say, hey, 
I want to work for a company like yours because you're doing things that I believe in and you're making things that I want in my own life. Um, and so that has been a, a really big um, and, and warm place for us to, to grow. I will tell you, we have other communities too um, that uh, are maybe, um, you know, less uh, touchy-feely in the emotional sense. Um, our fruit fly product, as an example, we've got a huge brewery community that uses our product um, because breweries struggle with fruit flies all the time. Um, and so uh, early on, we actually did beta testing uh, at Anheuser-Busch and Mondavi Winery. And so wineries are also a big um, player in that space. So we, we do. You kind of find these affinity groups of where um, a product can be used and they believe because brewers are snobby. I mean, they want, they want their beer a certain way and they don't want, I mean, it's kind of like a, a, a chef. Um, and we also find that too. I mean, certain, certain chefs don't want chemicals in their kitchen. Um, and so, so yes, I think there's, there's a wide berth of, um, different subsets of community that we've managed some to be part of from the beginning and others we've, we've stumbled into, but have been embraced in a way that's really fantastic. Yeah. If there was a moment to live over it in your business, for example, if you were given a time machine to kind of go back and relive that moment, what would it be? It's a really good question. Um, and it's it's probably a tough one for me to answer. I think it's more of a measure twice, cut once mentality. Because along the way... We have had either contract manufacturers or suppliers or whatever it might be that that tell you what you want want to hear, um, but maybe can't deliver on those in reality. Uh, and so, you know, in some circumstances, we've we've learned the hard way. Um, and I think it's not just about supply chain, um, but it's also about people and um, culture and um, being a positive uh, and accretive influence to either your personal community or your um, your business. And so I think it's all that to say it's okay to go slow. It's okay to take your time, uh, to be deliberate, to ask really tough questions, um, and to, to hold um, people, partnerships, um, whatever it might be, Hold, hold folks accountable. Um, because I think when you start to loosen up and you want to go fast and you want to go hard and you want to make stuff happen, you can sometimes lose sight of making sure that you're doing in the long run what's what's best for the business. Uh, and so there, you, you've got to take a measured approach to that, um, which is, you know, again, measure twice, cut once. Well, thank you, Matt, for being on here. This was amazing. Thank you for sharing your story as well. I, I genuinely had fun doing this. So thank you. No, thank you. It's, it's a great opportunity. I appreciate you reaching out. And um, again, your graciousness and having me on and being able to tell a story is, is uh, an opportunity I relish. Yeah. No, we actually use your products at home. And that's why when I saw it, I was like, I need to invite him to this podcast. It's amazing. Super cool. <laughs> yeah. It's super cool. No, I mean, listen to that's, that's been probably one of the greatest honors for me in all of this is being able to connect with people that are fans of the brand 
believe in what we're doing and where we're going. And, and honestly, I mean, I know it sounds trite, but like we wouldn't exist if it weren't for people like you. Um, and so it's just, it's always lovely, uh, to meet fans in, in the wild and see product in the wild. And it, it's just so far beyond what I ever originally imagined when I was laying in bed, you know, having those dreaming up these concoctions before I even told that first layer of people, um, that I was going to share it with. Uh, but yeah, it's been an extraordinary journey and I'm, I'm super lucky to have people like you, not only as a customer, but who, who give us the opportunity to talk about these things on platforms like this. Aunt Fanny's isn't just an inspiring brand. Matt Franken is an inspiring founder and leader. My biggest reflection on our conversation is the consistency of building a company with values that lives up to its word and simply does good in its products, in the way it does business, and the way it makes an impact in the community. And how as Matt has arrived at each then what moment, he and his team have faced it with positivity and honorable intention. People want to do business with someone like that. So ask yourself, are you living each moment in your business in this way? Will you be proud of your decisions 10 years from now? If you aren't sure, it's time to take stock of what changes are needed to make sure you will be. I'm Lahari Neil Peretti. See you next time. Then What is produced by Ellen Accounting Advisor in partnership with Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2021. The views and opinions expressed are those of the individuals on this podcast and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Ellen Accounting Advisor or Mouth Media Network. No portion of this program should be considered financial advice or consultation. Thank you for listening.